was commenting to Jill earlier with that song, it felt like we were sitting around a family living room, you know, that we were just sitting around singing together. And if you choose to spend time with our family, our church family, you're going to hear me at some point talk about my dad. Here's a couple pictures. He had me at sun. Uh, those who knew my dad, they didn't know anyone else like this guy. Uh, here's Exhibit A, a, um, a newspaper article. Uh, you may not be able to see it from where you're at, but that is, that's a 1930s fire truck that he came home with one day. <laughs> he worked at 3M, and before there was Craigslist, there was some 3M message board. And he saw this old fire truck and thought it would be a good idea to uh, bring it home and fix it up. And, and then to do things like drive around the neighborhood. We lived out in the country, drive around the neighborhood and blow the siren and see what happens. And <laughs> what usually would happen is a bunch of kids would come running out, you know, and, and jump on the back. And then we'd see what would happen from there. We'd drive around, and, and that, that was my dad. Uh, here's another picture. Some of you have seen um, this airplane before. Another thing he came home with, uh, and we didn't have money. I don't know how this happened, but he came home with this little old airplane and what he did is he found some scrap metal and he found some telephone poles and built an airplane hangar in our backyard. And then he flew this airplane out um, over a field. And I remember as I was doing this test run with him, um, I remember thinking, wow, those trees are really tall and this field is not really long. And I remember saying, you know, are you sure we're going to make this, you know, take off? And he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll, thank you. we'll, we'll, give, we'll find out. So, so anyway, but... What you see in the other picture there is a church, a country church, who not only flies an airplane out of their backyard, but then lands in the field next to your church and then taxis up to the church parking lot to see if anyone wants a ride. That, that, that was my dad. I'm not sure that's legal, but I, he, that's what he did. Um, here's, here's another picture, and I, and I know this. Oh, yeah, the, the shed. All right, you see in the background of this picture... Um, uh, the construction project happening, then in the background of the other, that's our shed. That shed used to be an abandoned church down in a little settlement called Etter. All you from Etter, woot, woot. Uh, Nobody's from Etter. And there was an abandoned church in Etter. We took that thing apart board by board, my dad and us six kids, mostly my dad. And then he constructed a 6,000-foot square foot shed out of it. And I remember saying to my dad, you know, don't you need blueprints? For this kind of thing. And he says, yeah, here's what we're doing. He draws in the sand. It's going to look like this. That's my dad. I don't know who does this, but my dad does. He built a zip line across our valley. We had this big ravine. So he built a zip line across the valley. And if that wasn't enough, out of German packing crates and more telephone poles. I don't know where we get the telephone poles, but we did. Um, he built a cabin with a deck and a bridge going across the valley. The guy built a stagecoach. He built all these things. You know, I... I don't, I don't know. I, I, he, that's what he did. Here's another picture, and I know this one wasn't legal. Um, see that brown car there? That used to be a Pinto, Ford Pinto. And it wasn't our Ford Pinto, but it had been in a crash. It got wrapped around a tree, so the thing was bent like at a 45-degree angle. And my dad tied one side of that Pinto to a tree and tied the other side to his tractor, straightened it out, and then took off the roof, took off the doors, decided it wasn't stable enough, so took a, a swing set, used the pieces of a swing set to provide structural integrity to the uh, thing. And that's where I learned to drive, you know? <laughs> so there's our speedster. And then this other picture, um, that's our family. Our family, six kids. Uh, two of my sisters are from Korea. Um, that's our family. And then in the background of that picture is a guy named George, George Snyde. And I grew up with George Snyde being at our place for holidays. And as I got older, I thought, 
what's George, why has he been coming to our place for holidays? And my dad just said, well, matter-of-factly, he says, well, George used to live in um, a former Soviet country, and he escaped from that country. And he didn't have a place to come, I found out, for some of these holidays. And so we just invited him over. It's what you did, I guess, and, and that's what he did. So George was a part of our family growing up, and, and we'd be home one day, and Peter from Germany would show up, and Hideo from Japan. And this is all pre-internet days. These people that my dad would meet on an international trip who said, I don't want to just connect with this guy. I got to see this guy's house for myself. I want to spend time with this person. I want to get to know this guy who figured out how, do you, how to move a windmill from one farm to our farm, with just him and my mom. This this man who served our nation in the Army, Navy, and the Air Force. This guy who, when it would snow, he would take the tractor. We lived out in the country, and he'd take the tractor, fire it up, and go plow out the neighbors that needed someone to plow them out. You know, this, this guy who... I remember one day he showed up with this guy I'd never seen before. Well, it was a hitchhiker that he picked up, and the guy was hungry. And so he brought him home for supper. Don't recommend that, especially to you young ladies, but I'm just saying he did it. Those who knew my father had never met anyone like him. And here's why I'm opening up my photo album, my heart a little bit here this morning. This week, or this uh, three weeks ago, we launched a series called Walking with God. And for the last three weeks, we've been talking about walking with God through different situations. And, and we've talked about now walking with God through all seasons of our life. And we've talked about walking God upstream when it seems like everyone's going the other direction. And today, as we wrap up this series, we're going to talk about walking with God through times of trial. In fact, here's the question that we're going to wrestle with today to close this series out. How can I experience God's presence during times of trial? And the reason I started this with my dad is because that the most painful thing I've ever gone through was watching him die of cancer. That was by far the most painful thing I've ever experienced. And, and, and to this day, I, I'm still left confused. You know, of all the guys, you know, why him? And why did my wife never get to meet him? And I think about my kids. They never got to ride in the airplane. And they would have had a lot of fun in that fire truck. And we weren't able to hang on to the family farm. They, they would have loved to go pet the sheep, ride the horse. We never got to have a family Christmas there and, 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 and tie all those tubes and those beat-up sleds behind the tractor and go through a crazy ride through the woods. It's perplexing because I've seen God heal. I've seen it with my own two eyes. It isn't just a theory. It isn't just something I've read about. I've seen it happen. And, and I don't know to this day why he didn't, God didn't choose to heal my dad on this side of eternity instead of the other. And, and, and to this day, I've got questions, and, and, and I'm confused. And if this were a small group, in fact, as I look out, I know a lot of your stories. And to this day, if it were for a small group, we could share these stories. And you could share similar things. Why? Why? Why not this time? 
why didn't you step in, God, and heal or deliver or protect? Why? It's a big question. And we could all share, I think all of us could share stories of trials that you went through or you saw that were as confusing as they were painful. Trials where you couldn't understand why God didn't step in to heal or prevent abuse or to calm a storm. And it's experiences like these that lead some people to question the very existence of God. If God has has power like the Bible says, if God can speak and a universe can be, if, if God has power over nature and even over death itself, if God knows our every thought, he knows how history will unfold, he knows what an evil person is going to do before they do it, if all of this is true, then why does God allow pain like he does? Why does he allow suffering like he does? Is he willing but not able? Because if he's willing and not able, then how can he be almighty? Or if he's able and not willing, How can he be good? The earliest record we have of this philosophical challenge to the existence of God is a Greek philosopher named Epicurus. And he presented this argument, this argument of evil, 300 years before Jesus of Nazareth. But the idea never caught on. In the ancient world, people didn't see evil as incompatible with God. In the ancient world, people thought pain is just part of life and pain can actually make you stronger. So in the ancient world, this argument never caught on. It didn't catch on until the Enlightenment. And what's happening now, too, if you talk to hardcore philosophers, they know this argument doesn't hold up. This philosophical challenge isn't a strong philosophical challenge. If you can separate your heart from your head, this isn't a strong argument against the existence of the Christian God. I'm not a philosopher, and I can come up with 12 reasons. Let's really quickly go through these. I know each one of these would warrant a whole message in of itself, but my point right here, I'm just going to breeze through these just to, to show that philosophically, there's not a problem here. Philosophically. Number one, if an infinitely wise creator and sustainer of all things exists, his perspective is greater than ours. It is beyond arrogant to assume that our inability to understand provides an accurate standard from which to judge his ways. Number two. Only an infinitely wise creator and sustainer of all things could know the butterfly effect that a supernatural intervention would have. Number three, do, quote, bad things happen to, quote, good people? Well, some would argue that good and evil are relative rather than absolute. Number four, according to scriptures, humans have rebelled against God. If the Bible is true, then then humans are justifiably deserving of the associated curse. We're saved by God's judgment by grace alone. Number five, trials serve as an effective, perhaps the most effective reality check. Trials reveal the extent of our strengths and our weaknesses. Number six, trials serve as an effective, perhaps the most effective means to refine and strengthen our faith. Is it a higher value to become comfortable and trouble-free or more like Christ? Number seven, trials serve as an effective, perhaps the most effective clarifier. They can remind us of what's most important. Number eight, sometimes it takes a trial to separate us from things we love too much and draw us closer to things that we love too little. You got all this, right? Number nine, sometimes trials are the natural consequence of a bad decision on our part. Sometimes it's not on God, it's on us. 
Number 10, sometimes trials are the natural consequence of a bad decision on the part of others. Can we have real choice without the potential for pain? The same properties that allow us to swim in water can result in death by drowning. Two more. Number 11, our momentary trials can provide a reference point for eternity, not altogether different than winter provides a reference point for spring. And number 12, our momentary trials can have an eternal impact on the lives of others. Now, the reason I just whipped through that is because this isn't my main point today. That we could sit down in a philosophical debate. We could disengage our hearts and we could logically have some kind of intellectual battle over this. The Stoics, they taught their disciples to disengage your head and your heart. The way you cope, separate the two. Some Eastern religions really do the same too. Disengage your heart and your head. Christianity doesn't teach that. Christianity doesn't teach, hey, here's some reasons why it could be happening. Deal with it. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a head and a heart thing. And that's why I want to spend our time today talking about the heart side of this. Because I think that's where the real challenge is, isn't it? I encourage you to write this down. Trials present a personal challenge. The challenge of evil, the challenge of pain, the challenge of trial, it's not so much a philosophical one because you can reason your way out, at least in your head, if you can separate your heart. It's personal because in that moment when you see a child abused or who's been abused, when you see what appears to be senseless violence, when a naturally occurring pathogen devastates a body or when a naturally occurring event devastates a city, then you ask, why? Don't give me the philosophy. God, you could have stepped in. This makes no sense. I don't care about the philosophy. We're talking about this life right now that you had the capability to spare. You know, it's, it's personal. And we begin to, to say, how could this happen? Could you make the pain go away? When it's personal. When it's your prayers that seem to go unanswered. When it's your body feeling the pain or the body of one you love. When it's you facing something that you don't know how to fix, you need more than philosophy, right? Right? I need more than philosophy. Job called them miserable com- comforters. I don't need miserable comforters. Well, here's 12 things it could be. I need help walking through it. And God extends an invitation. I'll walk through this with you. The Bible compares the heart experience to walking through fire, among other things. Here here are some scriptures that talk about this. The the Bible compares this heart experience of trials and pain. It's like going through fire. Isaiah 43, 2, when you walk through the fire, the flame shall not consume you. We're going to come back to Isaiah 43 later. 1 Peter 4, 12, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange are happening to you. 1 Peter 1, 6-8, In this you rejoice, that you've been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, tested by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fire, what a powerful metaphor. Fire can consume and cause pain. Fire can also... Refine. 
Fire can purify. Fire can make things stronger. Fire can make things more beautiful. And one of the things that's different about the Bible's teaching, um, I'm going to reference a book. Well, might as well reference it now. Um, Timothy Keller, Walking Through Pain and Suffering, does an outstanding job of comparing different worldviews and ways of coping with, with pain. Christianity really stands apart because it is so nuanced. It is so honest. It, it fits reality. It's, it's so wonderfully com- complex and rich. There's not any... Trials come in different forms, and our response to them take different forms. We're taught that some trials can be avoided. Others can't be avoided. We're taught sometimes that you should run away from a trial. Jesus himself sometimes walked away from a dangerous situation. Other times, we're instructed to run towards it. We see in the scriptures, trials sometimes reveal the ugliness. Sometimes trials, it takes a trial to see the depth of that nasty stuff. The impurities of the soul, greed, cowardice, selfishness, doubt. Sometimes you don't know how much is there until a trial comes. And on the flip side, sometimes we see through the scriptures, trials can be a proving ground in which we see real faith, real courage, generosity, sacrifice emerge. The same fire can purify gold. The same fire can harden clay. In fiery trials, they can harden our hearts towards God or they can soften us like melting wax and make us more like Christ. So what does it look like to walk with God through a fiery trial? Well, we have a literal example we're going to take a look at and then let's apply it to our lives. Literal example, no surprises here comes from the book of Daniel. No surprises if you were brought up in Sunday school anyway, right? Sometimes the Bible tells stories that are stories. Other times the Bible takes an example from history. And this is what's happening here. This is an example from history. Three Jewish exiles were living under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And this king made an enormous golden statue. And when I say enormous, I I did the the, uh, conversion from cubits. This was a 90-foot-tall gold statue. And he set this statue up in a public place. And anyone who didn't fall down and worship the golden image when instructed to do so was to be thrown into a literal fiery furnace. And there were three faithful men. What were their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they knew that to obey the king would be a violation of their faith. The God of Israel had revealed himself not as one God among many, but as the one true God. And they couldn't, in good conscience, bow to any other. And someday I want to dive deep. When we have more time, I want to dive deep into this classic. This Sunday school classic. There is so much here. So much more than you could ever mine. But right now, we just have time to zoom in on the attitude. The attitude that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had as they face this literal fiery trial. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them up. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. Let's take a look at this. And while we're opening up our Bibles, those who have them, um, I want to let you know that we keep a stack of Bibles here every week. We have them right at both of those entrances. They're for you. If you don't have a Bible, it's a gift for you. Please take one home. We would love for you to do that. All right, here we go. Um, Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. Um, With this... um, I want to set it up just a tiny bit. 
What's happening right before this is there's some accusers that step forward. They see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't bowing down. There's some jealousy. There's all kinds of things going on. And so they come as accusers. And this is going to happen when a trial comes. You're going to have accusers come your way. In fact, the name Satan means the accuser. So you're going to have this happen to you. So, so accusers come forth. There's a trial on the horizon here, literally fire, literal fire furnace. The accusers come and they say, hey, there's, there's some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up to worship. Now, notice there they don't give a name to this idol. They don't give a name. They don't say this idol of such and such or such and such. And I think that's intentional. Because then we can see our own idols in that place. You know, specific to today, and I know this is going to have an ouch factor to it. It's not an ouch factor in the sense of I'm trying to say I've, I'm not, I've got this down. This is an ouch factor in the sense of this is our idols that we just think about as the great American dream. These are idols, idols like this, pride. Pride can come in the form of God. You, I know what you should do. That's pride. God, this is what should happen. It's obvious you should step in. That's an idol of pride. Your idol might be comfort. God, if you're real, you wouldn't let me go through this. There can't be any purpose behind this. Your idol could be your dreams. It could be, okay, I want this to happen, God. What do I need to do to make that happen? There's all kinds of different forms this could take. Perhaps it's an idol thing. Perhaps it's an idol thing. Well, here's what happens. Furious with rage, continuing on, verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar says to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of all these instruments, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And what God will be able to serve you, rescue you from my hand? Literal fiery furnace. You bow to this idol or you're going in the flames and listen to their reply. Here go the men of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up, Booyah. They didn't say the booyah. (laughs) Different translation. My translation would have been, and it would have been incorrect translation on my part, because they had the perfect blend of confidence and humility. This was not a in-your-face king moment. They're using a respectful term. They're saying your majesty. They're they're, they're referring to, this is, this is them. This also, I want to say, this isn't them hedging their bets. Well, you know, I don't know. This is what's going on. At least as best I can discern this. They know that God can 
rescue them. They know ultimately, eternally, God will rescue them. But their confidence is in God. Their confidence isn't in their limited understanding of what they think God should do. Their confidence is in him. They were fully prepared to walk with the God of Israel through fire, literal fire. Not because they were confident that they would live, but because they knew the living God. And those who have spent time in Sunday school know what happens next. Nebuchadnezzar, he's furious. He has the furnace heated how many times hotter than normal? Seven times hotter than normal. Seven is a number of completion, perfection. This is the hottest fire you can go through. You're going to get thrown in this fire. So they throw him in the fire, right? What happened to the guys who threw him into the fire? They were killed. That's how hot it was. So fire is so hot, these guys die that throw them in. But when the king looked into that flame, he threw three people in. How many figures did he see? There was someone with them in the flames. God is faithful to his promises. I said we come back to Isaiah 43. Here's what it says. When you pass through the waters, I will what? I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I, the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Do not be afraid. I That deliverance, it might come on this side of eternity. That healing, that protection, that thing you hope for, it might. It might come on the other side of eternity. We don't know. We've got cues from the Bible. Pray for it. Walk it out. We're encouraged to do that. Let your requests be known to God. Absolutely. Pray boldly. Pray for healing. Pray for deliverance. Go for it. Our healing may come on this side. It may come on the other side. There's going to come a day when our Father will wipe every tear from the eyes of the faithful. A day will come when there will be no more suffering for the faithful. No more pain for the faithful. No more disease for the faithful. Evil will be cast from the kingdom of God. And all will be as it should be. And until that day comes, the faithful have this promise that God will walk with those who choose to walk with him. So one last thing to write down, please do. And as cliche as this sounds, there's truth here. Jesus walked through fire so that we don't have to walk alone. God doesn't abandon us. God wasn't surprised by what you're going through. And he even wants to prepare you for it, prepare your heart for it. I I think about my dad in in, in the funeral. And I remember because I had been walking with God for a couple years, I had a framework for this. And I was able with authenticity to stand up to the congregation in that little white country church you saw in the picture there. I was able to get up and, and say, Death's an enemy. We don't have to pretend like this is a good thing. We can call it for what it is. This is pain. And, and I, because I had been in the scriptures, I could see examples of godly men, godly women, who cried out to God in their confusion and in their pain. 
who are angry. You can do that. And I had a place, I had a framework to be able to grieve. Not like those with no hope. But I had a, I had a framework in which to grieve. And because I walked with God, I had examples from those scriptures of men and women who had, had gone through so much but were able to maintain hope. And I had songs. I had songs. Several years before this, when I had a personal conversion of faith, something within me said, for this season, you need to get rid of all the music that isn't godly music. Back then, you couldn't buy a song for $1.29. You had to buy a tape, right? So I could only afford a couple tapes. But when you only can afford a couple tapes, you listen to those tapes over and over again when you're not listening to the radio and you're not listening to that stuff. And I remember that drive home from the hospital when my dad died, that long drive from 316 out to the farm. And on the back of your your notes, there's a song called Home by Rich Mullins. I remember how that song spoke to me. A song about a storm that had passed through. And a storm that had ripped away everything that wasn't anchored deep. And how now the sun's coming out. It's a great song. And again, if we were in a small group right now, A lot of you would have songs. How many of you have songs? Songs that minister to you in those places. And I bet it wasn't Justin Bieber that wrote that song. And it wasn't Justin Timberlake who wrote that song. The songs that a lot of these guys and gals write, they they write these songs where you feel bad about feeling bad. Or because you got even. I'm talking about the songs that feed your soul and give you hope. Songs. And because I'd walked with God, I had people in my life to walk with me. Mentors like Roger Twito, who continued to pour into me at that formative age. I remember going back to Bethel. It happened during finals week. You know, I remember going back to Bethel. And I remember my P.O. box overflowing with cards and letters. And I remember the years that followed, people like Dave Bowler let me stay at his house for free in college. Because I had walked with God, I didn't need to grieve. This is the big one. I didn't need to grieve like those who have no hope. Because the cross wasn't the end for Jesus. It wasn't the end for him. There's an empty tomb that testifies to the fact that death is not the end. We have a Savior. He walked through the fire, but the fire didn't consume him. Amen to that? Amen to that. If ever there was a man who was good, it was him. If ever a man had evil confront him, it was him. He saw the injustice. He left the comforts of heaven. He walked among us. He knew poverty. He knew hunger. He knew thirst. He witnessed that injustice. And he experienced pain and trials like you and I fully comprehend. But they didn't consume him. Death did not consume him. Death 
life didn't consume him. He trusted his father. And when it was clear, his time was coming. On the eve of his, con- of his crucifixion, he asked his father, if it is possible, father, let this cup pass from me. But then he added what? Say it with me. Not my will, but thine be done. He knew his father could be trusted. Even in a time like this. And God, the creator and sustainer of all things, hear this words, in his infinite wisdom, he had not let Jesus down. He had not turned a blind eye. He could intervene. He didn't because he saw that the greatest evil ever perpetrated was turned against itself. He turned evil against itself. A Roman cross, hear this, a Roman cross, an object that was used to inflict Terror and humiliation and excruciating pain and death. It became not just a symbol. It became a source. It became a symbol of unparalleled grace and love. It became a source of victory and reconciliation and salvation. God can be trusted. I don't say that flippantly. Because I know your stories. And I know they don't, some of your stories. And they don't fit into neat little categories. Some of them are so painful. Some are so confusing. I'm not trying to say this is simple at all. It's fire. But I do know what God will do if you let him. And and I want to illustrate it with this podium here. This podium is a one of a kind, just like you are. Scripture says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's never been another you. Never will be. This was made by Paul Storzved. I love that. Well, we, we had it in storage, and uh, not long after we put it into storage, it cracked right down the middle here. And I looked at that, and I'm like, well, we're not getting another one. Paul made this. And not only that, there's some great symbolism here, because isn't that us? You know? We're broken people. You can't go through life and not become a broken person. You can try to be like the Stoics and... Well, I'm not broken because you just deny reality. Eastern religions, I'm going to get beyond pain. Great, then you'll get beyond love too. I mean, what? You know, so, so we have this broken thing. And I thought there's good symbolism there, but it was incomplete symbolism. And it took an artist, Jeremy Rockford, to be able to um, show me that. He, he said, can I take a look at this thing? And I said, sure. And he took it home. And he took some wood called blood wood. And got <laughs> nice catch. Thank you. Thank you. The things you don't see at uh, certain big churches that practice things ahead of time. Um, take a look at this. He took some blood wood, mixed it with glue, and he healed that wound. Isn't this what God does? This is what God does. And he warns you too through the wisdom of others to take your drink out of the, the deal. This is what God does. And, and he might do, it could look different. The trials are all unique. For you, it could like, um, look like a miraculous healing. And God gets the glory because God intervened and it could only be God. And I've seen those things happen. It could be that God doesn't appear to intervene. But because of your faithful witness through pain, 
people say, what you have is real. It could be that. It could be that God heals it through the community of other believers. And people say, wait a minute, there's no people like these people. There are so many different ways this could turn out in your life. Will you walk with him? Will you walk in faithfulness and watch what happens? That's our invitation today. Will you put your trust, if there is a creator, will you put your trust in him? That he's not surprised. That he's not shocked. That it's not, certainly not as simple as saying he caused something to happen, but he'll walk with you through it. And he'll make something beautiful out of it. Will you say yes to a God like that today? That's the invitation we extend every time we gather around the Lord's table. And, and you don't have to be a member at this church. In fact, you could have walked into this room resistant to God. But if you can sincerely pray with the rest of us who, who are going to pray these words where we just say, God, yep, you are God and we're not. We have fallen short. We've sinned against you by what we've done, by what we've not done. But Lord, we're going to ask that you're going to do a work in our lives. You're going to forgive us. You're going to renew us. You're going to lead us teaching us to delight in your will and to walk in your ways. If you could pray that with sincerity, we would love for you to come forward. Love for you to come forward and join us. And it's real simple. We'll have two stations. We'll have one over there, one over there, and we just want to invite you to come down. And what I'm going to do is turn this podium around so as you come down, you can take a look at what God can do in and through our lives. So would you join me? Let's pray for this time. Let's make this time God's. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we have been made clean. Please pray with me, Father. What an amazing thing that we can call you, Father. And I think about that song from home that said, you never gave up on me. I'm never giving up on my kids. I'm never going to give up on my kids. And for you to use that, for not you just use that, you created that metaphor. You created people who can create people. So we can press into that one. And and Father, you're not going to give up on any of us. So, Holy Spirit, would you call us to this table today? Would you call us to you? Lord, please work beyond any of these these words that come out of my mouth. Holy Spirit, you can speak to hearts, you can speak to minds, and we pray that you would do that. Draw people to the next step in this long journey, a step towards you. And Father, as we take that step, we, we pray one last prayer together. Uh, And that's a prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. As we close our service, would you please stand for just a minute? I'm not going to have you do anything. I just um, want to share just briefly. What, what we were just singing there, what we were proclaiming, this isn't something that people just made up to try to bring some sort of way to cope. Christianity is grounded in an event that happened 2,000 years ago. And this Lent, starting in Ash Wednesday and working our way towards Easter, we're going to be looking at a witness, a, a doctor of all people, who is testifying to the things that, that, that he carefully investigated. So I'd encourage you, if you're a person, to say, ah, I don't know. Come and check that out. Starting next week, we're going to have another series. Uh, for four weeks, we're going to spend time talking about judging. You know, what, is the, the, what are the instructions that God gives his people in terms of when do you speak into someone's life and, and when do you just keep your mouth shut? I think that's something we all could use a refresher on, huh? So I'd encourage you to come back. But today, there's a real good chance there's some unfinished business just today. And if you'd like to pray with someone every week, right where it says prayer, we have people that would love to, to come and pray. Maybe something got triggered today. Maybe you're walking through one of those things. And I hope you didn't hear, quit praying. The opposite. Cry out to God. Get people to gather. God instructs us to do that. Get people around you praying for deliverance, praying for protection, praying for healing. Praying for reconciliation from that friend, from that family member. We, we would invite you to come and pray with us about that or about anything that we could pray with you for. So we'd encourage you to do that too. But the last thing of unfinished business I want to do is just turn our attention to these scriptures as we close. I'm, I'm trying to get into the habit of when, when we ever have communion, to proclaim the good news on the other side. That when you come to God, great things happen among this. When you come to God, Anyone who's a new Christ, you're now a new creation. You're old. Your past is gone. Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The scriptures continue. Who's in a position to condemn? Well, only Christ. But what did he do? He died for us. If you place your faith in God's salvation through his son, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height, depth or cancer or anything else in all creation separate you from his love as high as the heavens above the earth so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so does he remove our sin from us receive this blessing fathers we go forth may we go forth with a conscious awareness of your presence that you're there that we will never come across anything that you haven't seen. Lord, may we start now to prepare for those things. May we walk with you so that you can bring people into our life to walk with us, that you can give a framework to help process. Most of all, that your spirit could be working in and through us, giving us your strength and your insights, producing the fruit of your spirit, joy and peace, goodness, self-control, no matter what comes our way. In Jesus' name. God bless you.